0: Hello, I'm delighted you've joined us on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. This week we continue with talk number nine in our 12-week series called Getting Real. We've already looked at Bible study, prayer times and living with integrity at home, and Brian's also given three talks about credibility and the quality of our participation in church life. This time, it's the challenge of our lifestyle and Brian's looking into the Bible to see how we might improve our role in church life, particularly in the aspect of worship. So, now to Brian. Thanks, John. Biblically, worship may be summed up in two words. The first
1: main Bible word for worship is a word meaning submission. In the Greek Old Testament, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we read how Moses told the Israelites, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. You yourself shall worship the Lord your God and him only you will serve. In other words, truly loving the Lord demands all of our heart, all of our soul and all of our strength. We cannot love the Lord in this way and still at the same time be devoted to and chase after the things of this world. These two loves are incompatible For the Apostle John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the verse we read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 a moment ago not only warned us against having divided affection and loyalties, but it then, you remember, went on to show us that wholehearted love for God precedes and underpins genuine worship of the true God. Love the Lord your God, it says, and then it says, worship the Lord your God love and worship belong together and this must surely also apply in the mistaken case of loving the world let me explain through our own greed lust and pride the world draws us away and we end up compromising our affections what's going on when that happens the world system is demanding from us a competing submission and effort one which is necessary if we are to obtain its desirable things like fame, success and financial rewards. Our affection and our allegiance to God become correspondingly diluted and the resulting reality is that what we are devoted to or what and whom we are submitted to actually determines whom it is that we are worshipping irrespective of any contrary claims that we may make. Let's try to make this even clearer. In Luke chapter 4, we find a devil seeking worship. The scene is the three culminating temptations which he put to our Lord Jesus. In reply, Jesus used this same word for worship, the one with the idea of submission, when he answered the devil's temptation by saying, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This was said immediately after the devil had quite literally. Promised Jesus the world in exchange for Jesus being prepared to worship him and submit his allegiance to Satan. We have to recognise this was a very specific temptation made in special circumstances, but nonetheless, doesn't it seem to imply that it's within Satan's domain to offer and to confer to us worldly honours such as gain and glory, for which submission to his authority is his asking price? Worship of the devil, in this sense of submission, takes place whenever a person looks to the world system to satisfy his or her fleshly appetites because of the fact that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's First John 5 and 19. Worship is in reality a lifestyle choice. The worship which the devil is shown to seek after is achieved through our orientation to the world system. The choice that was presented to the Lord is, albeit in a far more general way, set before us by Paul in Romans chapter 12, by James in James chapter 4, and by the Apostle John in First John 2. These texts warn us against conforming to, having friendship with, and loving the world. Isn't this the same basic issue? How far do conforming to, having friendship with, and entertaining actual love for the world, how far do they take us in the direction of giving the devil what he's looking for? Those who aspire to live the dream down here, by sacrificing time and effort to get ahead, to gain worldly things, scarcely realise that they've stepped into an alternative system of worship, irrespective of how orthodox their views are, and however faithful their church attendance is. Turning from Luke chapter 4, to John chapter 4, we find it's now the Father who's seeking worshippers. Those yielding to his will receive the privilege of accessing heaven from within a spiritual house on earth. The word for worship here in John chapter 4 is again the same worship word meaning submission. as when the Israelites in Egypt bowed in worship to God when they heard God was going to deliver them. And it was used again during the dedication of Solomon's temple, when the people saw the temple filled with the glory of the Lord and fell face down on the ground worshipping the Lord. It seems clear that when used to describe worship, this is a word which represents both the outward physical expression and the internal attitude of reverent submission on the part of the worshipper. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, it's recorded that the Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and said, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and came to worship him.'" This same term, worship or submission, is again used later in the chapter, "'And having come into the house, the Magi found the child with Mary his mother, and having fallen down, they worshipped him.'" That is, they express their reverence and submission to the one born King of the Jews. There's a wonderful quote from William Temple, which is spot on with our theme. Worship is a submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self centeredness which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Let's now take a look together at the second of the Bible's main worship words, which is a word meaning service. In Exodus 20 and verse 5, when the second of the famous Ten Commandments talks about neither worshipping nor serving any graven image, it's this worship word that's used to express the Lord's command that Israel is to serve him without using graven images. On the brink of the Israelites finally setting foot in the Promised Land, they're told not to serve other gods, neither the gods of the peoples of the land and indeed nor are they to worship or serve the sun, moon and stars. And after the Lord had brought them in and defeated all of their enemies, Joshua says in Joshua 24, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river. Originally, this worship word which is often translated as serve, as we've just read, was in fact a secular term, meaning to work for hire or wages. But in the Greek Old Testament, it's used to express either the worship of pagan gods or Israel's service of the true and living God. Right away, we are faced up with this basic fact that who or what we serve is the actual object of our worship. As we begin to dig even deeper into the meaning of worship in the form of service, we now need to take a look at the noun form of this word in Romans 12, where Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. i go so far to say that there could be modern methods and styles of worship which would appear to be ruled out by this. When he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, well-pleasing to God, which is, literally, your reasoning or reasonable service... Paul's telling us that worship definitely involves thinking through our response to God and in fact worships in harmony with the highest reason and is far from an unthinking emotional response or mere ecstatic mood feeling. This brings us on to another example of this worship word meaning service as performed in a corporate way by God's Old Testament people although the reference to it is in fact found in the New Testament Also in Romans, this time chapter 9, verse 4, where Paul refers to my kinsmen, whose is the service of God. As we said, the reference is to Israel, but the very same word group translated here as service is used of God's New Testament people also worshipping corporately in Philippians 3 and 3, where Paul says we worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The corporate worship of the people of God as expressed in this distinctive word is throughout all the Bible only ever directed to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus in the sense of you shall serve him only. Now this in no way detracts of course from the fact that the Lord Jesus is himself truly God nor from the fact that it was right for individuals who met him on earth to worship him. But it shows how it's no mere protocol or habit that those in biblical churches of God may very well address themselves to the one who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus when coming together to worship God as they keep the Lord's command to break bread each Sunday morning. Actually, this, linking back to our reading in Romans 9 and 4 and the service of God, this goes right to the heart of a very important revelation regarding worship, which is that there's a type of worship that's corporately engaged in by the people of God now equally as in Old Testament times by Israel. This is worship that's distinct from the personal worship we can offer at all times. It's corporate worship and may in fact only be offered to the Father That is, neither to the Lord Jesus nor to our Father, but specifically to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. According to Hebrews 2 and verse 12, our Lord Jesus is himself a worshipper who leads the congregation singing praises basically that's why new testament churches of god were and are in existence it's because god the father wants the highest form of corporate worship from his people now just as he received worship from israel in the past
0: Thanks Brian for another interesting study. The transcripts of these talks are available in book form with the title Getting Real. If you'd like a copy uh, then just write in by post or email. And the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. So to obtain the book though simply ask for Getting Real and you can do this by email or by post and here's our address. Search for truth, haste press the Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is SFT at churchesofgod.info. So many thanks for your company. It's been great to have you with us. And Brian will be getting real again next week with a talk centering on what it means to worship in spirit and truth. So I hope you'll join us. Until next time. It's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our technician, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you.